Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Welcome to a special episode of Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. And I'm Henry Zimmerman. Since the pandemic began, the coronavirus has disproportionately impacted Latinos in Colorado. Throughout 2020, this group was getting infected at a much higher rate than other demographics in Weld County. In our series, Over-Infected, Under-Resourced, the KUNC newsroom took an in-depth look at why this is happening and what's being done to help change things. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Those pings represent COVID cases starting in the last weeks in March, the beginning of Weld County's outbreak. Each ping stands for 50 or fewer cases. That was the end of April, which saw the massive GBS meatpacking plant outbreak and the county's decision to ignore state public health orders. Throughout, Latinos represented a majority of the county's cases, April used to be the biggest infection spike in Weld County. And then, late October. brings us up to the first week of January 2021. Nearly 300 deaths with COVID in Weld County and hundreds more hospitalized. Cases among Latinos are no longer the majority, but they continue to be disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Out of the more than 7,500 Latinos in the county who tested positive last year, many are the essential workers who kept our nursing homes, meatpacking facilities, and factories running as other Coloradans stayed home. They are also community leaders, public health workers, and family members helping others navigate through these challenges. KUNC recently aired a series of stories called Overinfected, Under-Resourced. Reporters Lee Patterson, Stephanie Daniel, and Adam Reyes join us now. Uh, hello and welcome to you all. Hi there. Thanks, Aaron. Glad to be here. Lee, let's start with you. Why did the three of you decide to report on this topic? Well, we really just started by looking at data from the state public health department, and it was striking. Latinos in Colorado make up around 20 percent of the state's population, but represent 28 percent of cases. Among white people, that trend is the reverse. Weld County, same story. In this series, uh, we focus on the economic factors, primarily that many Latinos who have gotten COVID are essential workers, and they just couldn't stay home from work. They had to keep going in. One thing that you also focused on was talking with the people behind these numbers. Stephanie, I'm wondering, what did that look like for you? I thought it was really important to report on more than just the statistics. I ended up reporting on a Hispanic-led church in Evans called Mosaic Church. Pastor Angel Flores and his wife Diane have been guiding their congregation of nearly 700 people through this pandemic. It's been a difficult, challenging journey for sure, but Mosaic Church has continued on despite some congregates getting sick. Adam and I went there one Sunday and sat in on one of the services and conducted interviews, and everyone was welcoming and friendly, and the music was fantastic. I was even dancing a little bit in the back of the auditorium while recording audio. Okay. 
Now, Adam, you focused on the economic factors behind the disproportionate infection rate. Why are these factors so specific to Latinos? So I spoke to Anita Alvespina. She's a labor economist and professor at Colorado State University. And I wanted to understand why Hispanic and Latino people tend to be in these low-paying, so-called essential jobs that can create these health risks. She made two main points about this. Number one. Some of the sorting into different jobs has to do with choices and the preferences of individuals that might be different for different groups. And the second point. But there's also historical discriminatory practices in labor markets and in public policies that have probably contributed in big ways. And those end up being cyclical, she told me. One leads into the other round and round for generations. Lee, what were some of the challenges that you encountered in this reporting? Access. You know, in my story, I focused on COVID communication, not reaching everybody. And I interviewed uh, some promotores. These are community health workers. A lot of the work they do is on the ground. You know, they're going to mobile home parks. They're going to job sites. And they didn't want me tagging along um, and, and bringing my recording equipment. I think they thought I would have scared off some of the people they were trying to help. So I think for me, remembering that they serve a vulnerable population and being mindful of that was really important. And Adam, what about you? Getting JBS employees to talk to us about getting sick was very difficult and ultimately unsuccessful. I asked Kim Cordova, president of the union that represents workers at the meat company's Greeley plant, about this, and she told me that there's a culture at the plant that discourages workers from speaking out. The company told me that it, quote, completely disagrees with that characterization. And same question for you, Stephanie. I actually think the biggest challenge was figuring figuring out how to best tell the story of Mosaic Church. In addition to Angel and Diane Flores, I also interviewed several church members and staff, and I debated if I should include their voices in the story as well, but in the end, decided that the story was really about this couple doing their best to keep their church family, their community safe. And I think this has kind of been a universal theme during the pandemic, and most of us can probably relate to some part of Angel and Diane's story. Well, from the reporting that all three of you did on this series, what are some of the main takeaways? I mean, just just how deeply rooted these risks are. Like the idea that Hispanic and Latino people face extra health risks because of external socioeconomic factors, it's, it's just not a new one. And there's not just one thing that we can point to and say, this is why the infections are so disproportionate. All of these factors conspire together and raise people's risks, even if they don't experience every risk factor possible. And Lee? We talk about the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on Latinos, but it hasn't impacted all Latinos equally. And that's because like they're a really big, diverse group. My story focused on communication towards undocumented, mostly Spanish-speaking Latinos. But there are many, many different qualities to consider the country of origin, English fluency, level of education, immigration status, of course, and how long the individual or their ancestors or family members have been in the United States. These are all really important distinctions to consider when we're talking about the disproportionate impact of COVID on any given group. I mentioned this earlier, but for me, one takeaway is people are really just doing their best to get through the pandemic safely. Even though the state has mandated public health orders to slow the spread of the coronavirus, that doesn't mean that everyone knows what to do. Maybe it's because of a language barrier, like Lee mentioned, or a lack of guidance from your local health department. That was KUNC's Adam Reyes, Lee Patterson, and Stephanie Daniel discussing their work on overinfected, under-resourced. We'll hear each of their stories coming up. Latinos in Weld County have been hit harder than any other demographic, representing around 40% of the reported cases in 2020. But why has this been the case? 
KUNC's Adam Reyes has more on the complex and long-standing economic factors that have put these communities at greater risk. Lately, conversations during family dinner in Erica Cardenas' home are focused on how everyone got COVID. Well, we were there this day and we started feeling symptoms this day. All eight members of the household tested positive for coronavirus in early December. The family did everything right, Cardenas says, staying inside except when absolutely needed, wearing masks, sometimes multiple layers, and gloves when they do leave home. I guess since everybody was working and everything, um, we can figure it out. Her mother and aunt work in a meatpacking facility, and they were the first to get positive tests. Dad and uncle work in an oil field. Her cousin works in retail, and Cardenas herself is a farmer's market manager for the city of Greeley. We were scared. We were just thinking about other people and how um, we affected other people. The family quickly started contacting everyone they spent time with recently, mostly co-workers, to warn them. Across the house, symptoms have been mild, loss of taste, some coughing, fatigue. We were not too much at risk, right? I guess we live on that mentality that it's not going to happen to me, right? But it happened. I think there's all these layers that sort of played together for the perfect storm. Dr. Michelle Barron is Senior Medical Director of Infection Prevention for the University of Colorado Hospital System. Hispanic people represent about 30% of Weld County's population, but nearly 40% of its COVID cases. No other demographic in the county is experiencing that kind of disproportionate impact. It's like check, check, check every risk that you could potentially have. These groups generally did. Hispanic people in Weld County and across Colorado are more likely than white people to work in so-called essential jobs. They're also more likely to live with multiple roommates or relatives, rely more on carpools or public transportation, and have less access to health insurance. There are a few members of Erica Cardenas' home who don't have health insurance, but overall, they are financially stable. We have been able to buy stuff for us to eat. We have been able to pay rent, but I know people that um, have been struggling a lot. Experts say that for some, the impossible choice between economic survival and family health is at the core of these factors. Kim Cordova is president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union in Colorado. What workers have felt is that they've been treated as sacrificial or, you know, fungible widgets um, as just objects in, in these facilities for the sake of production and profit. Meatpacking giant JBS is a prime example. Erica Cardenas's mom and aunt work there. They are two of at least 360 workers at the Weld County facility who have gotten sick. Six have died. The federal government fined JBS for failing to protect its workers. But in a written statement to KUNC, JBS disputes the idea that it has neglected health and safety at any stage. Cordova does not just blame companies like JBS. She also blames local government. Somehow it's a constitutional violation to try to enforce safety. But nobody's thinking about these workers' right to pursue life or to be safe at work. Weld County has been ignoring state public health orders, encouraging residents to feel safer at work, while the state and public health experts beg people to stay home. The county public health department and commissioners declined to be interviewed for this series. Dr. Mark Wallace led the county health department until he retired in May. 
He says getting companies and officials to take action on COVID was difficult, but I've been around this rodeo enough times that what we end up coming back to are these basic issues that are gargantuan. Issues like housing, type of employment, access to health care. It was such a structural issue that has been so historic that it couldn't be corrected overnight. He's clear that he's not saying efforts to mitigate the disproportionate spread of COVID in Hispanic communities aren't happening or are hopeless or shouldn't be expanded. He just wants to make sure that coming out of this and planning whatever health looks like moving forward and in anticipation of the next big major pandemic, that we really spend the time to learn from this because we've seen it unwrapped and there's no sugarcoating it anymore. Looking back, Erica Cardenas isn't sure her family could have avoided getting sick. Uh, so some way or another, we we had to get it. But she doesn't see her family-filled home as a risk factor. We choose to live together. We like living together, I guess, as Hispanic. We try to stay together as long as possible. Cardenas says the virus spreading through their home hasn't changed how comforting it is for her. Her family has mostly recovered. A few have been able to get back to work. But she adds they're all very worried about playing any part in further spread of COVID in their community. You never know how, how much people you were exposed to and how much people you infected. I, I am really sad. Adam Reyes, KUNC. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Latinos in Weld County have been hit hard by COVID-19, and as we just heard, some of it has to do with work-related risks and who was considered an essential worker early on. Another factor is the communication barriers that have kept people from getting information about the virus, particularly undocumented Spanish-speaking Latinos. KUNC's Lee Patterson has more on the messengers who are working to bridge that gap. High infection rates among Latinos in Colorado come down to a couple of factors, like working conditions, living situations, and for some, language barriers. A silver van pulls up to a coronavirus testing site at La Familia, a daycare and family services center in Fort Collins. Christina Diaz and her co-worker hand fluffy pink unicorn stuffed animals to the kids in the back seat. They load boxes of food into the back. We have 200 boxes. And you're going through them. Yeah. Diaz wears a black face mask with her name written across it in red cursive. She's one of several community health workers at the site today. They're called Promotoras. My job is regional coordinator for Project Protect Promotora Network. She oversees Larimer and Weld counties. Promotoras don't necessarily have formal medical training, but they know people. They're connected. Diaz, for example, has served on the boards of Northern Colorado nonprofits. Until recently, she was a social worker. Diaz's strategy today is to draw people in with food and then say, hey, you know, by the way, we have COVID testing right here. Do you have any of these symptoms? Do you know anyone? So they're going to leave here and then they're going to go home and be like, hey, I just went and got this food box and I got tested. And then we're going to have more people here in the afternoon. <laughs> Promotores typically work with public health departments to reach underserved Latinos on issues from smoking to cervical cancer. Through a federal grant, this group launched in September to get the word out on COVID. 
we provide materials, you know, such as the masks, the hand sanitizers. They go to where people live and work, farms, warehouses, mobile home parks. You know, it is overwhelming as an English speaker, so I can't even imagine as a Spanish speaker. And even though Spanish speaking, not all of them tend to be literate. So you can't just hand out COVID information. If they are taking that farm home, you know, they're probably sharing it with their eight-year-old, their 12-year-old. And then all of a sudden it's the job of the 12-year-old to educate the family on it. In addition to these barriers, many workers are scared or distrustful of the government. You don't know how to ask for help and you prefer don't do it. Soraya Leone is a promotora who lives and works in Greeley. That's where the vast majority of cases are concentrated. She's seen confusion and disbelief about the virus, but when she talks to workers about it, she says they listen. In part because when Leone divorced her American husband, she became undocumented and needed help herself. I was there. I was in the same situation. You know, I know what, what you feel when you have these shoes. Weld County has worked with promotoras in the past, but not specifically on COVID. The county's health department didn't want to do a recorded interview for this story, but in an email, a spokesperson outlined what they have done. Messages on billboards, posters and social media, and interviews on Spanish language radio. Dr. Mark Wallace used to head up that department until he retired in May. To what degree do you feel that confusion, misunderstanding, lack of culturally appropriate information has contributed to a high infection rate among Latinos in Walt County? I think it has contributed. Um, I think it has potentially in the beginning was more uh, impactful, um, you know, that lack of clear communication. Wallace now heads up Sunrise Community Health, a group of clinics in northern Colorado that primarily serve Latinos. He says they've gotten a lot better about talking about what isolation and quarantine actually mean in daily life, for example. The next communication issue, the vaccine. It's likely to have some similar challenges. I'm not I'm not going to be Pollyannish about it. Polling has shown around 60 percent of Coloradans are planning to get the coronavirus vaccine. Numbers are slightly lower among blacks and Latinos. Wallace thinks it'll be people like his bilingual medical assistants who will be effective at getting the word out. If the Pope got a COVID vaccine, that would go a long way. Dr. Michelle Barron is an infectious disease expert at UC Health in Aurora. She says that big names like the Pope and public health messaging is all important. But she also hopes that her mom, who is from Mexico, will get the vaccine and then tell her friends. That would be the like the gossip. It's like, did you hear Nora got her vaccine? Oh, we should go get our vaccine, too. Like that, I think, is the power. Barron says that community members and health workers like Promotoris are really important pathways for information. But the issue of communication is complex. The messaging that we're putting out there may work for 80 percent of our you know, population. But what do we do different for those 20 percent? Some work is being done at the state level. Colorado's Public Health Department has its Champions for Vaccine Equity initiative. The nonprofit Immunize Colorado has its Vaccine Equity Task Force. Both the state and Weld County plan to work with Promotoras on vaccine education. Christina Diaz, the promotora heading up the Food Boxes event in Fort Collins, says they worked with the state on this testing event and expects to do more with the vaccine. There's mixed emotions. <laughs> um, but definitely, we will inform most, most definitely um, on it just because we're not the one who decides for, for these individuals. They need to decide on their own. Our job is to inform. 
Is that going to be a complicated thing to talk about? Most likely. It's hard to get them here just to do the COVID testing, so I can't imagine a vaccine. Lee Patterson, KUNC. Latinos make up about 30% of Weld County's population, yet in 2020 they accounted for around 40% of the cases. County leaders have not enforced state health guidelines. Instead, they've encouraged personal responsibility to curb the spread of the virus. As KUNC's Stephanie Daniel reports, that's been difficult for one pastoral couple as they try to keep their congregation safe. It's kind of dark inside the auditorium. But the stage is backlit by purple fluorescent lights shaped like diamonds. And the band is jamming. This is Mosaic Church. Every Sunday, there are three services, two in English and one in Spanish. Angel Flores is Mosaic's lead pastor, and today, his message is about the spirit of giving. We're going to talk about generosity. (laughs) The bald, stocky pastor wears a v-neck sweater and slacks. Angel is 48 years old, but looks about a decade younger. And as he peppers his message with a funny anecdote about his bad singing voice, his warm smile grows. But if I sing, you won't worship God. I promise you that. Angel and his wife, Diane, are Mexican-American and they founded Mosaic 13 years ago with a group of friends in their kitchen. We felt like there was a, 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 an opportunity to, to create a church for unchurched people. Our, our original tagline was a church for people who don't really like church. And so we strive to make Mosaic as welcoming, unweird as we can, where you can, invite, you can invite your friends. Mosaic is an evangelical church. It's open to anyone and has lots of young, working-class families. A year ago, nearly 700 people would come worship on any given Sunday. Then COVID-19 started, and congregants who were first responders or work at meatpacking plants started getting sick. And Angel started getting calls like this. We got a call from a lady in our church who said, Pastor, they're about to intubate me. And so, I mean, that was, that, it got real quick. And as her pastor, I'm telling her, like, look, you're, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. But real talk, you might be meeting the Lord soon. So let's, you know, let me pray with you. During that first wave of coronavirus, about two dozen congregants got COVID and recovered, including the woman who called Angel as she was being intubated. As a precaution, the church shut its doors in mid-March and moved online. In April, Weld County had one of the highest numbers of coronavirus cases and deaths per capita in the state. Since then, the rates have dropped. But one statistic has remained constant. Hispanics and Latinos have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. I think that takes a mental toll on the community. Everybody's stressed out. Everybody's tired of this. Everybody's worn out. While the church has been doing its best to hold on, the couple also had to navigate local politics. Throughout the pandemic, Weld County commissioners have not enforced the state's COVID-19 regulations. They've encouraged personal responsibility instead, allowing residents to decide which public health orders to follow. So over the summer, when Angel and Diane decided to restart in-person services, they were determined to do it safely. I'm called to love other people and so love our community and the way that we love them the best is to make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep them safe. 
and to do our part. But the couple wasn't sure what they should actually do. And since Weld County did not have any specific policies in place, they chose to follow Larimer County's guidelines. They removed every other row of chairs and asked people to leave space between families. We asked everybody to wear masks. We bought gallons of hand sanitizer. I mean, so honestly, nobody really knows what we're doing. We're just trying to figure, manage this the best we can. In mid-June, Mosaic began worshiping again in person at a greatly reduced capacity. Meanwhile, church members kept contracting the disease. An angel had three family members pass away from COVID in one week. Then this happened. So I tested positive for COVID. Angel broke the news in a video message he posted on Facebook. I'm so bummed out to, to, to tell you this is happening to me because the last thing I wanted to do is bring this into my house and to bring this into my church family. Diane also tested positive, along with several staff members. So in November, the church had to close again for two weeks. Angel urged the congregation to remain diligent and stay safe. If you're feeling sick, like, get tested. This is serious. Uh, this whole COVID thing is not a joke. Uh, I don't care, you know, what anybody says about the politics behind it or any of that ridiculous stuff. Um, it's it's real and it's it's terrible. And I'm thankful that I seem to have gotten a mild case of it. Today, Mosaic is open. The church continues to stream services online and use Facebook for announcements, prayer, and fellowship, like this video recorded at their house. Hey, everybody. Hi. It's Thursday night. We're here in our backyard. Online and in person, this is the new normal. And even though their delivery methods have changed, Angel and Diane are going to keep doing what they do, connecting people to Jesus and helping them grow their faith. I think our main focus during COVID is to provide hope for people, remind them that this will pass. Um, this is not forever. There's still hope. Once we get through this, I think we're going to appreciate, I know I'm going to appreciate worshiping with other people more than I ever have. Mm -hmm. Gathering with family, hugging people, shaking hands. Stephanie Daniel, KUNC. Thanks for listening to our series on how COVID-19 is impacting Weld County's Latino communities. The series was put together by KUNC reporters Adam Reyes, Lee Patterson, and Stephanie Daniel. Adam created that audio data representation of Weld County's cases that you heard in the beginning. I'm Erin O'Toole. And I'm Henry Zimmerman. Thanks for listening.